Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new day. <clears throat> Excuse me, Lord. And we ask you to bless this special final session this week as we study 1 John. We have sensed your Holy Spirit throughout this camp meeting, and we praise you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting that John begins his gospel <clears throat> with, in the beginning was the word. That's the style of Genesis 1.1, which says, in the beginning God created. <clears throat> he created the universe, the earth, human beings, everything in it. And in his gospel, he speaks about the spiritual recreation of mankind through faith in the Son of God. And in his gospel, he says, for God so loved the world of humanity that he had made that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because God loves the world of humanity that he made, <clears throat> he saves the world of humanity that he made. And the connection between the world he made and the world he saves is Jesus. And John 1, 1, verses 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word. He was in the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. <clears throat> Jesus is the Word of God. And he is the light of men. He knows the way. He shows the way. He illuminates the way. He is the way. The only way to salvation and eternal life. But in this letter, 1 John, that is so relevant and timely for Seventh-day Adventists, Christians today, <clears throat> John is not talking about the beginning, but about the end. The last hour, as he says in chapter 2, verse 18. And the historical context are different between the beginning and the end. Everything he says in this letter has to be understood in the light of the last hour. The beginning and the end are connected in Christ, who says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, which John recorded in Revelation 22, verse 12. And what, what's the meaning of that? <clears throat> it is that he was there 
at the beginning, the Alpha, and he will be there at the end, the Omega, as he has been all along the way. Not just with reference to the way you and I view the world of humanity, events, calamities, history, but our own personal histories. Remembering that, as Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The God who created us and gave us new life in Christ is going to finish what he started. He's going to finish the job. The saving of the world goes on until the very end. And God's people, the church, are a part of that mission to the very end. The object of God's love is the fallen world, John 3.16. It is also the object of the church's love. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations. <clears throat> teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the church, made up of God's redeemed people, is in the world with the specific mission of making disciples, followers of Jesus. That's our job. That's the world's only hope, provided the church is faithful and uncompromisingly true to the Word of God and fulfills its mission. For the world, John says, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That means the turning away of God's wrath and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2, 2. And to the church that has a mission in the world, he says, verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Though the fallen world is the object of God's love, the focus in this letter is not on the world that lies in the power of the evil one, but the focus is on God's people, the church, which lives and serves him <clears throat> in this world. And while his focus is on the church of the last hour, he sees that church against the background of the reality of the world as it is in that last hour. He doesn't have his head in the sand or in the clouds. 
he's very much aware of the condition of the world in which the last hour church is to bear its witness and fulfill its mission. <clears throat> we must be aware of that too. And is that, it is that condition that should stir the church and powerfully motivate it for the kind of sacrificial work that is demanded by the last hour. So let's take a look at the condition of the world of the last hour and the demands that that reality makes. on the church in that hour. The New Testament uses three Greek words that have been translated world in English. <clears throat> One is oikumene, which means the populated world. The other one is, or the kingdoms of this world. The other one is, and I don't quite know how to pronounce it, but it's spelled A-I-N, I-N, or E-O-N. It usually means age or, and includes time and space and so on. The third word is cosmos, meaning order or system, the material word, world, the things that have been made especially the human inhabitants. And, but John uses the word cosmos throughout his letter because he is talking about mankind as a whole that has been alienated from God and is under the control of Satan. He's also referring <clears throat> to the complex of ideas by which humanity has organized itself into nations and societies and cultures, and it's not a pretty picture. Because, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Because if after the redeemed, as Second Peter 2.20 says, have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, they are again entangled in them and overcome by them. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Jesus describes this condition <clears throat> in metaphorical words when he says, in Matthew 9, 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch 
tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. The world of fallen humanity that is in the power of the evil one is full of hate for God's people and his church. The condition of the world in the last hour is that of widespread hostility toward God, toward his truth, and toward his people. And that hostility should not surprise us. Because we know and understand his word. And we need to be ready for it and prepared to meet that hostility. But not with more hostility. God has told us that Satan, Revelation 12, 17, also John's writing, that Satan is furious with the woman. That is to say, his church. And went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep, that is to say, revere and observe the commandments of God and hold to, in other words, cling to, will not let go of the testimony of Jesus. Jesus prepares us too. He says in Matthew 24, 9, You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many of you will fall away. You, they can't take it. And betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. <clears throat> and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. He's talking about fallen church members. Their love grows cold. But then he adds a promise. But, he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, and that's the theme of this, this year's camp meeting, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony or a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. So 1 John 3, 13 says, don't be surprised that the world hates you. And proof of that hatred goes way back to Cain, who murdered his brother Abel. Why did he do that? John says, because his own deeds were evil. And his brothers were righteous. Now, we're, we're, we're beginning to face the hostility of Western culture 
toward Christian faith and ideals. Such hostility can be expected to increase, especially in the last hour. It's a time when many false prophets have gone out into the world, as John says. Where did they come from? And who do they represent, these false prophets? They are, he says, chapter 4, verse 5, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. They are produced in the context of that hostility which takes many philosophical forms. And so they speak, they teach ideas that represent the thinking of that world and that support its hostile views. And they are listened to by that hostile world because they're saying what that world wants to hear. Be very careful of the phrase user-friendly. <laughs> there are some folks that think we need to make the church user-friendly. And I think they fall into this category. John, Jesus, or John calls them deceivers. The, the arch-deceiver produces his own disciples. Second John verse 7 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, the world of humanity, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. And to the church he urges, Second John verse 8, Watch yourselves, watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Watch yourselves. Beware. Take heed. Don't fall for the deception. No matter how appealing it may sound. Don't fall away and betray one another and, and hate one another, as Matthew 24.10 says. Why not? So you don't forfeit what you have preached to others. So you don't lose the souls you have won by betraying the truth and so fomenting doubt in their minds. God wants to strengthen the church of the last hour. Spiritually so that his people will stay true and united in Christ in such a crucial time. And by the way, and this is important, that unity is protection from the world and is essential for gathering disciples out of the world. 
So he says to that church, 1 John 2.17, the world of hostility is passing away along with its desires. It's not going to last, in other words. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, will last forever. And he explains the reason why the world that is hostile to Christians does not know us is that it did not know him. Chapter 3, verse 1. In other words, the world is so far from God that it's hard to recognize his people. Which is why they have to watch yourselves. Chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. In other words, don't be like them. Don't fall for the deception. Why not? He says, verse 16, chapter 2, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, sensuality, and the desires of the eyes, covetousness, and pride in possessions, materialism is not from the Father, but it's from the world. In other words, that's the way that the hostile world is. That's the way it thinks. That's the way it does business. That's the way it operates. Don't believe everything you hear from that world of false prophets. Test it against the word of God. What does the Bible say? Listen and believe only that which confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh. That, by the way, is the cardinal test. And their safety and protection lies in the fact, as he says in chapter 4, verse 6, that we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. In other words, if their hearts are inclined toward God, they will listen to our message. And then he adds in verse 6, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, there are two essential attributes that characterize the church of the last hour. The church that's prepared to meet the hostility of the world. The first 
essential attribute is that we find is the absence of hatred. And the second one is the demonstration of love. If you love, if you love, you cannot hate. And if you hate, you cannot love. Chapter 9, or chapter, or verse 9 of chapter 2, he says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, his fellow human being, no matter how hostile he, he may be, is still in darkness. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and does not know where he's going. He's lost his way. Why? Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John says. Now what did Jesus say? Matthew 5.39 Do not resist the one who is evil. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Where does that come from? Sermon on the Mount. I would love to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount sometime at camp meeting, but I don't think it's going to be possible. <clears throat> but when I was reading and studying the Sermon on the Mount, it struck me that in the sermon, Jesus doesn't talk about uh, justification or righteousness by faith. He talks about Christian living. Read it. This is the principle that determines how the church of the last hour meets the demands of the last hour. And without which it cannot fulfill its mission. Love your enemies. Don't hate. But always stand for the truth. The consequences are not yours. Your job, our job, is to Proclaim the truth and stand for the truth and live the truth. Be a witness. It cannot be done, as Ellen White says, without the word of their testimony. And listen to this, 1 John three fourteen: Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let us not love inward or talk, in word or talk, 
but in deed and in truth. In other words, this is talking about sacrificial love. And the Greek word that John uses is agape. There are three words for love in Greek. Eros, which is erotic love. Phileo, which is brotherly love. And agape, which is divine sacrificial love. And that's the word he uses, agape. The spiritual reality demand in the mission of God's last church in the last hour is that we find the way to live faithfully as church. And the Greek word for church is ekklesia, which means the called out ones. in the last hour. The way of life that overcomes the world, a life of love for God, the reality of which is demonstrated by faith that obeys his commandments, which John mentions three times in his first letter, especially in the midst of hostility. Now, the atmosphere, this is what I've been talking about, the atmosphere in which the Christian believer lives is the atmosphere of righteousness, not that of sin. We don't live in the atmosphere of sin. At least we're not supposed to. We live in the atmosphere of righteousness. And this is the divine principle that determines how the church of the last hour meets the demands of that hour and without which it cannot fulfill its mission. Yes? Uh, Steps to Christ, I was just reading about this, this atmosphere of grace that encircles the earth. You were talking about we don't live in the atmosphere of sin. You said righteousness, but also through the death of Christ, we live in, in a, a very real atmosphere of grace that circles the world. That was an accept to Christ. Thank you. So John characterizes the condition of the world as darkness. The world is dying in its darkness. Life is not possible in darkness. Did you know that? It has to have light in order to survive. In complete darkness, nothing can be seen, neither good nor evil, not danger or safety. Evil, danger, cannot be avoided because it cannot be seen. <clears throat> and good and safety cannot be followed 
for the same reason it cannot be seen in darkness. Light is absolutely necessary. <coughs> to avoid danger. To expose evil and reveal good. To show the way. Light illuminates. Darkness hides. The contrast between darkness and light is so obvious. Genesis 1 verses 2 through 4 says that darkness was over the face of the deep until God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. In the beginning, all that there was, was darkness. Think about that. Darkness was there before there was anything else. God did something about that. He brought light into darkness. Notice that God did not call the darkness good. He called the light good. We have always seen an allusion to the coming of Christ <clears throat> the deliverer, as well as the great controversy in Genesis 3.15. God said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He shall bruise your head. But there seems to be an allusion to the gospel as early as Genesis chapter 1, first verses 2 and 3, when God brings light into darkness. He acts. He takes the initiative. This is the first manifestation of, of God's grace operating on behalf of the whole universe. When he said, let there be light, and there was light, he was in the process of creating. And Genesis 1 tells us that God separated the light from the darkness, and that God said, let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to separate the day from the night, to give light upon the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, to separate the light from the darkness. That's why he put them there. Now, was the separation from light and darkness 
Was it meant to make the contrast more obvious? I think so, because light is more powerful than darkness. Even the moon reflects the light of the sun, as it has no light of its own. The moon has no light of its own. And if it were not for the sun, you wouldn't see the moon. God created light for our good. Because mankind was not made to exist in darkness. Literally, darkness is the absence of natural light. I've often wondered why I like springtime. It's my favorite time of the year. Everything greens up. The days are longer. I don't, I don't get up in the dark anymore. I don't go to bed in the dark. I, go, I get up in the light. I go to bed in the light. Jesus was on the cross. Matthew 27, verses 40, verse 45 says, From the sixth hour, that's noon, according to Jewish time, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. In the middle of the day, because it was a dark and wicked deed that was being done. And God wanted the whole world to know that. So darkness came on the world in the mid middle of the day when Jesus was on the cross. This is darkness. And the unnatural darkness speaks volumes concerning the evil in human hearts. In spite of the fact that light, John in his gospel, chapter 3, verse 19, <clears throat> Christ has come into the world, people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Why is it that people who, who commit crimes do everything possible to cover it up? You know why. It's an evil deed. They don't want to be exposed. The Bible describes darkness as a place of misery. In the parable of the wedding feast, the king tells his servants to take a man who had no wedding garments and cast him into the outer <coughs> darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty-two thirteen. 
And did you know that the Bible describes the grave as the land of darkness and deep shadow? The land of gloom like thick darkness where light is as thick as darkness. Job 10.21 Jesus used the contrast between light and darkness to illustrate the contrast between righteousness and lawlessness. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Darkness characterizes the condition of the whole world that lies in the power of the evil one. What a sad, depressing picture that is. What would physical life be like if there was only darkness? Wouldn't be pleasant. It would be depressing. Yeah. Don't you feel better when the sun shines? How about this morning when you got up and you saw the sunshine? Didn't you feel better? I did. I stood in our room and looked out the window, window and I said, oh, Lord, thank you. But light is essential for life. If you have no light, you have no life. That's why I like spring, longer days, warmth of the sun. In 1 John, we find that God is love. Chapter 4, verse 8. But we also find that, quote, God is light. Chapter 1, verse 5. And in him there is no darkness at all. When everything in the last hour appears to be dark and forbidding and fearful, I think that's good news. God brings light into the darkness of the world. That's why it's good news. <laughs> How does he do that? First of all, by his own presence, because he is light. Secondly, the coming of Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Matthew 4.16 Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8.12 Jesus is the light of the world. And then number three, in the last hour, God's people have a special role to play. Acts 13, verse 47. I have made you a light. 
that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the darkness of the world in the last hour is not the time for his people to wring their hands in hopeless despair, but rather to shine, not whine. Because you already are light, the Bible says. God's people, the church, we, you and I, we are light in the darkness. That's what the word says. It is the final opportunity for those that are light to be what they are, to be what God has made them to be light. And John makes it absolutely clear what walking in the light is like and what it is meant to accomplish. He says in chapter 2 verse 8, the darkness is passing away because the true light is already shining. Light is needed the most when the darkness is the darkest. What do you do when you go into a dark room at night? The first thing you do is turn the light on. Then John says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and so on. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness with everybody else and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going. He cannot see. He cannot even see the difference between darkness and light. Love your enemies, Jesus said, and pray for those who persecute you. That is real light in the darkness of hostility and hatred. And this is not theological ideas, which is a matter of the mind. This is religious experience, which is a matter of the heart. There's sometimes a big difference between our beliefs, our doctrines, and our religion, the way we live. If anyone thinks he is religious, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless, says James 1.26. James, to which Luther referred to as the epistle of straw. Boy, was he wrong. 1 John Chapter 2, verse 28, he says, Now, little children, abide in him, that is, in Christ, 
so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he, Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's agape love, sacrificial. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So what are we called to do in the last hour in the face of hatred and hostility? Love. And he gives major attention to this in his little letter. The antidote for hatred is love. Now the dark world hates God and his people because it is so apparent that his people are not of this world. What does that mean? That means that we do not follow its philosophy or participate in its way of life. We are in the world, but not of the world. You see, we have a mission the demands of which are the greatest in the last hour, when the darkness is the greatest. Jesus has sent us into the world to be light, and in so doing, reveal the light and expose the works of darkness. For what purpose? So that the world may believe that you, the Father, have sent me, Jesus said, and loved them even as you loved me. This is when love, agape, sacrificial love, counts the most. Because light shines the brightest when darkness is the deepest. Just as darkness and hate are synonymous, so light and love are synonymous. And, but there's a big danger for us to, re, to reject this love to refuse to fulfill 
this demand of the last hour mission, no matter what the cost, would be to sink back into the darkness. John 3.10 says, 1 John, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness in the most difficult of times is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now listen to this comment by Ellen White, and we'll end with this. From manuscript release number 20, page 283. Whoever loves God supremely and his neighbor as himself is keeping the commandments of God. Although he has to meet the annoyances that will come from a fallen world, yet he is not discouraged because Christ has said, I have overcome the world. Amen. And amen. I have to I'm going to cover this mic. <laughs> I have to tell you that I feel rather sad this morning. Because this is probably going to be our last camp meeting. It's getting more difficult. And I love camp meeting. I've had a seminar in this room for many years. and Always looked forward to it. And I got a blessing from it. And I love to hear the speakers and meet people that we've known for years. So please, <clears throat> please pray for me and my wife. I don't think the story's over yet. I still have things to do for God. I don't, idleness is demoralizing. What would I do? Just sit and stare at the walls? And thank God for the Michigan Conference and the fact that they're willing to keep me going, you know, even at this age. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.